I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My next guest is Edina Menzel. She has a new album called Drama Queen and a children's book called Proud Mouse out September 12th. Make sure to watch and read. My son is mixed. I don't want my whiteness to be something that, I know people say, you're the mom, he's going to love you, but there's going to be things that I can't understand for him because I'm not in his skin. And as he's getting older, he's becoming more and more aware of the society that he lives in and the violence, the racism. And um, I just want to be someone he can come to, you know. The best-selling author and host. The number one health and wellness podcast. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I am so grateful for our community here at the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. And I know that you're always looking for new stories, new ideas, new things to bring into your life so that you can feel better, feel happier, feel healthier, and feel healed. And today I'm talking to a guest who has a really unique experience of life. And that's what I love. I love learning about people who've come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, taken different paths. And I'm speaking to all of you about Edina Menzel, a powerhouse, multi-hyphenate, a singer, an actress in film and TV, a songwriter, a Broadway star, and a philanthropist. And I mean, her accolades are absolutely unbelievable. Edina rose to fame for her role as Maureen in the popular Broadway musical Rent, and her career took off when she won a Tony Award for her role as Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West in the musical Wicked. If you haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. I I can't believe you haven't seen it yet. Edina's voice can be heard as Elsa in Disney's Oscar-winning Frozen, the second highest grossing animated film of all time with more than $1.2 billion in worldwide box office revenue. And right now she's out talking about her children's book, Loud Mouse, uh, which we'll be hearing about today as well. Please welcome to the show, Edina Menzel. Edina, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so grateful to meet you and so happy to get to spend this time with you. I know you've had a long day. We were just talking about, you've been up since 4 a.m. Yeah, and I'm on the L.A. time. So that's what, that was weird because I couldn't get to bed yeah. with my jet lag. So I'm running on empty. But I'm happy to be here. I've just come in as well three days ago. And so I know what that feels like. But I guess the question is, like, you've been up since 4 a.m. You've mm-hmm. been doing so much work today. What drives you? What motivates you? What, what keeps you going? My son, my 13-year-old son, Walker. Um, I think that's the main driving force. I mean, obviously, creativity and my, you know, artistic soul, my desire to keep creating and um, finding new ways to express myself. But if I'm being completely honest, it's, you know, it's how can I be a better mom? How, what am I doing today to help my son, um, 
you know, my relationship with my husband. I think it's because I'm, I've turned 50 now and um, the ambition starts to wane a little bit when you, when you have a little success too, you know, like um, start to feel okay. Like I can afford to pay for his schooling and I can pay my mortgage and, um, and I'm doing wonderful things and working with terrific people. And so I can relax a little bit. When I was younger, I was just pounding the pavement so hard, you know, and really I believed in myself, but I was just really working hard and um, playing gigs everywhere and trying to get noticed. And so at this age, it starts to, you know, you go, okay, everything's, everything's going to be okay, you know? Um, and so you want to give a lot of energy to your relationship, your marriage, to your, to your child. And that's why this children's book is, I guess, is sort of an organic step in the evolution of things, you know. Because um, people always ask me to do one, you know. Because I guess my trajectory of characters and this sort of Elphabas and Elsas and these amazing young women that have all this incredible power and are role models for kids. And um, it's all about, you know, embracing that power and harnessing it and, and not being afraid to send it out into the world. You know, there's, for some reason, there's, the universe has thrown these things my way. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. Is it me, you know, choosing these somehow, even though, they were jobs I needed and I had to audition for them. <laughs> so I think that there's, um, in the tradition of those characters, I felt that I wanted to write a children's book that was about really um, me having those very similar experiences when I was little and really believing in myself at a young age, really recognizing that I had something special to offer, but also being um, hesitant to share it uh, out of fear of, of being alienated, being disliked, feeling like I was calling too much attention to myself. Like how much space can we take up in the world? What, what's allowed, you know? Um, especially as women, I think we're always sort of second-guessing ourselves. So that's what the book's about. But that's what I deal with as a grown-up, too, every day. It's, I'm still second-guessing when I walk in a room how much space I can take up how big my voice is literally and metaphorically. Wow. And how do you think your view has changed of what you view as important from that time when you were like grinding and hustling and, and busy working hard to now having a bit more, I guess, structure and peace and a bit yeah. of arrival feeling, if that makes sense. The desperation isn't there. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not still dreaming and I'm not, there's not things that I, uh, there, there are still things I want. There's a lot of things I, that I find still elusive to me. We could talk about those. <laughs> but, so I still have ambition, but the fear of literally not being able to pay my rent or not making good on my commitment to myself as a young girl of working hard to have my dream come true. My dreams have come true. I, I perform on a stage. I perform in all these incredible venues um, for thousands of people. And um, I'm Disney princess queen, for God's sakes, you know. So, but, you know, the more you get, the more you want. Um, and you see things differently through different, a different lens when you become a mom, really. Yeah. Yeah, I was two things you hit there, which which I read about you when I was I was looking for this interview. You said you have many dreams, but then one of the dreams I've heard you've had is your teeth falling out. All <laughs> <laughs> right, I know that's a different type different no. type of dream. It is. Uh, that's not the that's, dream that's not the kind of dream that. Singer. Yeah, yeah. That's my nightmare. Have you have you ever looked it's, into all the meanings behind? Yes, yeah, it's all about anxiety. Have you ever found a, a meaning that sits well with you that gives you some comfort in like? No, not no. that dream. It's always such anxiety, and yeah. and that's what I've read about it. And I also usually the teeth come out, and I, you can hear the sound of them oh, clinking. Gosh. Gosh, the wow. sink. Yeah. 
Oh I have God. that one, and I have one that I never actually graduated college, but I'm two credits short. And I have it so much that I still wake up with a feeling of like, why do I feel unsettled? Oh, you think you didn't graduate? Let's <laughs> go, wait. No, I was there. I got my diploma. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah I, I get the dream of like, I have another exam again. I think that's the one that sets yeah. me up. I'm like, no, I don't want to do another exam. I've done enough exams in my life. But no, that, that, that's interesting. And yeah, that lack of control, I think that's what I've seen it as well. Like when you're losing your teeth in a dream, it's like feeling like yeah. the anxiety around losing control. Yeah, and, and, then, and then I have cracked a tooth on a bagel, so I was like, my nightmare's coming true. On a bagel? <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, oh, it was a no. hard bagel. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> and, and hearing the teeth, that sounds, I I, I'm, sounds make me very, like, squirmish. I feel yes. like sounds are tough. And then also with working hard, I mean, before this, you used to, well, not before this, a long time ago, you used to perform at bar mitzvahs and weddings. Yeah. Which, which one did you prefer? Was there a better, was there a better one? <laughs> well, or? I went through different phases. Um, when I was 15 years old, my parents divorced. Mm. Um, and I wanted to get a job to kind of help out that, you know, dad was supporting two households. And my mom started dating this guy who was really sweet and saw a talent in me. And he knew some guy that had a wedding band out in Long Island. And he said, you should audition. I said, I don't know enough songs, you know. And we lied about my age because we didn't want them to worry that I was still a kid. So we said I was 18. Like, that's so old. And um, I started learning a bunch of songs. I put on kind of a slutty dress. And I I went um, in and I sang, uh, what did I sing back? I'm dating myself, but I sang... Uh, evergreen, like a Barbara Streisand song. And I sang, we're walking on sunshine. Oh, I remember I sang a flash dance song. Anyway, and I got the job and um, I started working all the time, weddings, bar mitzvahs. It, it didn't matter. They all can be bad because nobody's listening. They can be uh, really wonderful, especially for a young girl becoming, uh, trying to figure out my identity as a vocalist, having to learn so many kinds of genres of music, you know, like, um, Motown, pop, rock, jazz. Um, so I really, that was kind of my education of music. And I'm working, there's a lot of incredible musicians that do it as a side gig just to make extra money. So the good thing about people not listening is you can, um, <laughs> you can try a lot of yeah. things. And one of my favorite times would be when they say, like, ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Your salad is being served. And then the <laughs> They, the band would take a break except for me and, like, the keyboard player. And then we'd sing, you know, a Billie Holiday tune or Ella Fitzgerald. And at a young age, I learned what melody is. And I would listen to them on the car ride to the gig. And then I'd learn what I was um, contributing to it and how to improvise and um, where where were my, my, my instincts, my impulses as a singer. And so... Um, I actually still identify with, I still see myself as that girl, the, the chick gig singer, a wedding singer. And it's wow. been so much longer that I've not been that than I was, but I, I still just feel like that's who I am. When I'm on stage, I could be at Madison Square Garden. I'm still with my band. I want to jam. I, I'm okay with um, spontaneity. You walk on, I was 15 years old, and they call a tune. You have to call it in the right key. You have to know the lyrics. If you don't know the lyrics, you tape. Now they have iPads, but you, I would pull out a little um, Rolodex of cheat oh, sheets, uh, and I'd tape them to the mic, and I'd sing the songs. Like I said, nobody's paying attention to the <laughs> band, so they don't see. But um, I still identify as that person, and no matter what, when I go to a wet someone else's wedding or bar mitzvah, or when I get paid to like a lot of money to come be a, a, a guest oh, wow. at somebody's and sing a couple songs, wow, okay. then I'm really taken back because yeah. I'm like, I used to make a hundred bucks, you know, for the night to yeah. sing, and um, and then I'm up there and I still feel like that that unknown girl just trying to um, do a great job and get the song done. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that's incredible. How, what are the next steps? Like when you, when you hear about that experience that you're in, and, and I am doing a bit of biography charting because I, I do find it fascinating. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you, you look at the stage you're on today and you, you look back there and you're like, wow, that's, that's a long, long way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy externally to be like, oh, yeah, there was these line of great things that happened and it took off. But like, what's the next step from that? Like, in where, what part? In like, what part where of the timeline? You, like the... 
pretty much immediately, like after you're doing that, I'm guessing, is that building your confidence? Is it just allowing you to pay for a few things on the side? Like, what is that doing for your creative career? To be a working um, singer, to make a living as a singer, especially at that age, was a source of deep pride for me. Then, as I kept getting rejected at auditions, I was writing my own music. I was trying to get a record deal. Nothing was happening. Now I'm doing it six, seven years. Now I'm getting a little bit... (laughs) Annoyed. So you were seeing weddings and bar mitzvahs for like six, seven yeah, years. Yeah, go That's, in and out yeah. depending. When yeah, I was yeah. in college, I went to NYU, and certain semesters it was rough, but then other semesters I could pick up gigs. And so um, then I would be a little bit more, I like to say, disgruntled. And I'd stand there and I'd think, if I'm doing this when I'm 30, you know, I'm quitting the business. <laughs> and um, I'd get in trouble. The band, the band leader would say, you have an attitude today. And I'd be thinking, well, it's because I just... I'm going to be something one day, you know, I'm going to get out of here. Um, So I forget what your question was. Well, no, my question is that idea. What was the next thing? No, like that is, that's a, you're good. You're you're doing exactly what I was asking. Like that idea that you're going to auditions, what were you auditioning for? Like what was important to you at that time? Yeah, so when I was a little girl, I, I, my parents took me in, I grew up in Long Island. They take me into the city to see Broadway shows. I wanted to be on Broadway. Then when I started doing all these weddings and seeing all these kinds of music, I started writing my own music and um, my tastes uh, evolved with the kind of music that I wanted to sing. And so um, then I wanted my own record deal. I wanted to make albums. Mm. Um, And so I would now also put rock bands together and I'd go play at CBGB's and at the Bitter End down in the village. And so that started to be the thing that I wanted. And then I finally, at finally, at 25, (laughs) um, I got the original cast of Rent, which was the big rock musical of the time, but it was theater, but it was rock. And so that started me on this sort of path of kind of straddling both worlds always, which uh, back then in the 90s, it was not, it was frowned upon to try to go from theater to legitimate rock wow. pop kind of career. Now yeah. everyone can do, do everything. everything. Yeah. But back then you didn't, if you were a movie star, you didn't do TV. And if you were a theater person, you weren't going to be, um, people wouldn't believe you as a, as a rock star. But here I was kind of in both. And so I did that dance for a long time. And now you get to the point where you've done so many different things and so many, I put out so many kinds of albums and um, that I can get on stage and I don't care that I'm one particular style because now my body of work is who I am. Mm -hmm. But it's taken me all that time to feel like um, I have a story and an identity because back then it was like, but who are you? What kind of singer are you? What are you going to be? What do you represent? And mm. I said, well, I can do jazz and I can do Motown <laughs> and I can do Madonna and Whitney Houston and rock and roll. And, yeah. and so my versatility was my curse. Wow. And what were you doing by age 30? Because you said, when I get to, if I'm doing this by 30, I'm going to quit. What were you actually doing when you were I 30 was, years old? I was um, in a workshop of Wicked. Okay, so you. Yeah, so okay. I was hired to develop Wicked, which was a five-year process. Wow! And every after every workshop of that, I always thought they were going to replace me with someone more famous or something. And so I always thought I was going to get fired. So the fact that I actually got to the Gershwin Theater when I was I don't know thirty-two, I was like, oof. You know, you always think you're going to get fired in this business. Yeah. So when they bring you in to develop, and part of my ignorance, yeah, just because yeah, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. like, if they're bringing you in to develop, and what is that? What does that actually mean? Does that mean you might make it into the show or you're in the behind the scenes? Like, they say that they're, they're looking for their muses, you right, know, and right. so they'd like to find the, the people that they are writing for because the composers are writing and for your voice, and which is like the greatest honor. Um, that, that was, Rent was like that as well. And, and most of the things I do because they're original musicals, they go through these long developmental processes, which I love. I love standing on a piano and an incredibly talented composer like Stephen Schwartz or Tom Kidd or Jonathan Larson, and they say, figure out where my voice sits and and how they want to write something so that I can soar, you know, mm. and the character can soar. Um, sometimes that gets <laughs> um, confused. But, um, or it's one and the same, I yeah. guess. But um, I love that process so much. And what it is is, you go in a room, usually in like a regular rehearsal room, and sometimes they only have the first act. 
sometimes they have the whole thing, but then they, you, so you do like a little reading of it for a bunch of people, investors, and then everyone gives notes. And then six months later, they've scrapped a bunch of things. Maybe they took a song out of act two and put it in act one. And now that offsets the whole balance. And then this part sucks, but this part's really working, you know, and they keep having to, and you just go with the flow. And um, I find it fascinating, that whole process. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting hearing about it. As a fan of Broadway, mm-hmm. I always have been in the West End, in London where mm-hmm. I grew up, and then Broadway here. Uh, it's it's interesting knowing how it works because I think you take for granted that some of these things, the amount of time they take yeah. in development before we even see them. It's funny, I did Wicked at the West End um, for six months, a year and a half after I left it here in New York. I always wanted to open a show on the West End. To me, that was the most yeah. prestigious um, thing to do. And I had one of the greatest times of my life. Um, I had two Australians starring with me who taught me how to party and do eight shows a week, which I think I only learned that because I like, they like to take credit for that. But I also think it was because I had already won a Tony. I knew I wasn't going to get fired. I knew how to pace myself eight shows a week. The pressure was off me. And so I could go to the pub after, but you know, when, when you're in the beginnings of a show, you just, you know, you're, you're a monk yes. <laughs> and you don't do anything and you go home and you watch movies and you don't drink alcohol and, um, you know, so, and that can be kind of lonely. Yeah, those schedules seem just insane. Yeah. I was with a friend recently, they're piloting a show in San Diego at the Glo- Old Globe Theatre. Uh-huh to try and take it into Broadway. And so I was watching her and she was telling me about her schedule. And then we just, I just went and saw The Music Man this, this oh, yeah. Sunday uh-huh. and like watching Hugh do that. And I was, it was just, it's fascinating to me to think just what a tough schedule that is. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's, and how do you like, what were your coping mechanisms the first time around? Like not when you'd won the Tony well, and the not- the first time with yeah. Brent, I, I, uh, I lost my voice, well, I, I started, um, I was abusing my voice. I didn't, I would, I took voice lessons my whole life, but I stopped going to my teacher at one point. <laughs> and um, I just had never, even though I was singing all those gigs at the weddings, I had never done eight shows a week. And um, so I had to look, go back to a teacher and address all the different problem spots in the show for myself. And then I ended up being stronger than ever. And then it's never happened to me again. Wow. But um, back then, you know, the I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan Larson, who wrote, um, he com- was a composer. Of I don't know him, but I know. But he passed him, away yeah. early on in our process. And it was a very emotional time for all of us. And um, we all felt so committed to never missing a show because we just felt like our mission was to show up and communicate his message, you know. So... For six months, not one of us missed a show. I was actually the first one because the doctor ordered me to, to have voice rest. And I've never had a, a cast um, do that ever again. I realized that that was very rare, wow. that um, people wouldn't miss a show for six months. That's, so um, that was a commitment. And that set a precedent, I think, for me. Um, it's also because, you know, I have an ego and I don't want my understudy to go on all the time. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But, yeah, and the more people coming to see a show with your name on the marquee, the more pressure you feel to be there. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a lot of pressure. But I learned, um, you learn to pace yourself, and you learn, what I like to say is I have an A, B, and a C show. So the A show is the one that has lots of acrobatic vocals and what I want to sing if I could all the time. The B and the C are melodies that um, are maybe not as hard, but people don't even notice Yeah, the no, difference. we're not going to recognize it. And yeah, so it's no. a psychological thing for me that mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm failing if I don't get the A show. I just say, I have a cold, so go out there and do a really great B show today. Yeah. And then I and then the pressure's off and I end up having a great show. So there's a lot of it's mental, you know, and just... Um, That's a great technique. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before because I think people think that you only have two choices. Oh my God, you're either I on or off. That note. It's like, yeah, you're on or off yeah. and and that's actually not true I, I love the ABC grading for, for anything in yeah. life because I don't think we're ever at our A game every it's single day it's not possible and, yeah. and how no- many times do you realize you think you had the worst show interview whatever and then <laughs> Someone comes and they had no idea what you're talking about. Yes, it's all yeah. that dialogue in your head that's sabotaging. You yeah, I, I went to public speaking and drama school since I was 11 years old. 
And so I've been, and public speaking is now the majority of my life. And so there is, I know exactly when I think I messed the line up or didn't quite uh-huh. get that message across right. And I'll be overanalyzing it. I used to do it a lot more earlier days, but then you realize no one even noticed any percentage of that. But, and, I, but I love your ABC grading. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could do that with life. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a good tool for life. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping like, that everyone is Today I'll be an ABC mom. Oh, I'm not going to get it all right, you know, today. And my son's going to be angry with me, but that's okay. But I'm really hard on myself about that stuff. I'm mm. hard on myself in general. I'd like to... So give myself a break. Yeah. 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 How did you, how do you think you were able to give yourself a break on stage? Because that's obviously in one sense, I mean, I'm sure, and I'd love to hear this from a mother's perspective, but, and I don't want to assume either way, but I'm guessing you may say that actually being a mother to one child is actually more pressure than performing in front of yes, thousands and, of people. I, and when I became a mother, yeah. I found perspective. Obviously, I became less self-absorbed. Um, I realized that my son has a fever tonight. I want to snuggle with him, take care of him. I don't want to worry that I don't care if I get sick. Yeah, I got a big show tomorrow. What happens if I get strep throat or something? Well, it's too bad. I'm not going to sleep in the other room. That's just not going to be, I just have to be with him. So then I'd wake up the next day, didn't get a lot of sleep, worrying about my kid. I'm on stage. What can I do? I'm doing the best I can. I'd have the best shows, you know, because I just, you know, lowered the expectations of Mm -hmm. myself and for myself. And um, that's really, um, it changed my life in a lot of ways when you have something that you care about way more than yourself. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty for 25% off. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay, immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah.
Yeah. What do you think it's going to take? I, I love what you said there, and I think everyone can relate to that. I think anyone who's listening right now, if you're a mother, you'll definitely feel it. If you're not a mother, you'll feel it. Like the idea of, I just need to be a bit easier on myself. Like I think most people are very self-critical. Yes. Most people who even come across as confident or even arrogant are often mm -hmm. insecure and dealing with yes. something internally. So. I'm not an expert and No, I, not an expert. I'm just intrigued as to how you think you're gonna like what well, it Well and I also I'm not ashamed yeah. to say my publicist is here and she's probably like, don't say that, but I take, you know, Prozac and I have help and um I yeah, because there are some days where I just I I'm you know, people expect me to let it go and I can't, you know. Mm -hmm. So um I'm doing the best that I can, but um, being in the moment, being present, you know, is just the hardest thing to do. It's like what we aspire to do as artists, actors, singers to, you know, it's, it's so weird because the greatest moments I have um, when I'm performing are usually moments I can't even remember because mm -hmm. they, I transcended I, in some way, you know, um, but trying, but that's not being present then, you know, and that, you know, you can meditate, you can do all these things, but it's trying to achieve just one moment where I felt like I'm here in my body, understanding this without judging myself, without criticizing. And so um, I don't, I don't have the answers. I just, no. I give myself things to try to stay in the moment, yeah. you know, um, whether it's very clinical, just think about the lyrics, think about breathing think about getting Walker to school tomorrow <laughs> or focusing on the person in front of me and trying to change them and the scene or the song, you know. But sometimes it's just is really hard. I can't get out of there. Yeah. And other days I can. Yeah. But I think that ABC grading is you've already <laughs> you've already come up with the I'm perfect the advice, but yeah. I have no, to walk but, the talk. No, walk but it's the what, it's what you said beautifully. It's like that's that is the way we all need to think how you started thinking about the stage. You know, think about our life that yes. way. I think it's a great, it's a great method. And uh, I also have um, an incredible husband who was an actor. His life changed, and he became. Um, he's the clinical director of uh, an inpatient facility oh, wow. out in California that has two houses: mm -hmm. um, recovery, um, alcohol and drug uh, recovery, and also mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so. He thinks I'm just like a piece of cake all the time, which is really nice to come home and think, he's like, what? That mood is fine. That's nothing, you know? Yeah. So that's giving me some perspective too. He just thinks all of my neuroses is like normal and he can handle he can handle it. I'm not yeah. too much. I'm not too much for him. That's beautiful. Nice that, that's I, a really special. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing to have in your life. And, yeah. and I, think it's, I think that's true for pretty much... I often think with relationships and with my wife, I, I, if, I, if I sat there, I could easily reel off reasons why I think she's annoying or frustrating or whatever it may be. Like, that's easy. I think anyone could do that right. if they've been longer, long enough with someone. Uh -huh. But if I stop to think about the things that are special about her and unique about her and the things that she does that no one else could do, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it's like all those other things seem so insignificant and irrelevant. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to amplify those small, irrelevant... And like, life is too short. Yeah. I'm gonna, he's gonna, I mean, he gets on my nerves so much when we <laughs> travel because I'm traveling all the time. I know how to wear my... I don't wear shoes with laces. I get through the security. I know how to do it. If something changes, I can go get another flight. I'm moving and grooving. He walks too slow. He doesn't have that aggressive traveling attitude. And I'm like, oh, and then I realize, like, why am I, you know, he's sweet. Why is this getting on my nerves? Like yeah. life's too short. You yeah. know, he's, when it comes down to it, he's an incredible father to my son. And um, he's there for me whenever I need him. And um, he really sees me, sees my soul. And so so those little things are so silly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like we all pair up with someone who's exactly the other way. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm probably more like you in that sense as you yeah. described that. As in like, you know, I'm like, Folk, I, I want to get to the airport three hours early and figure <laughs> everything out. And like, I don't like rushing. I don't yes. like being late. And my wife's like, you know, just yeah. like she's happy to run to the, uh -huh. the, the what do you call it? The terminal, uh -huh. and like run to the, the gate. yeah, the gate, sorry, uh -huh. the gate. Yeah, run to the gate. And I'm like, I don't want to live like this. No. And she loves the pressure and whatever <laughs> it may be. So, but I feel like we always pair up with people like that. But 
with with your dreams earlier, you said this. You're like, you know, dreams for the future. Like, what are the dreams now? Like, how have your dreams shifted or changed, or, or what's left? You said elusive. Some of the dreams are still elusive. You said that was the way. Well, now talking to you, they seem so trivial. <laughs> <laughs> well, professionally, there's yeah. things that yeah. just I want to be a better performer, a better artist. I want to work with people that I've always looked up to. I want to work with some more people like that that yeah, not can teach me yeah. stuff. I want to create more original musicals, but my son is mixed. He's, uh, he identifies as black, and I see him as a black 13-year-old boy, little man. That's kind of where a lot of my focus is, I think, mm. lately, is um, I don't want my whiteness to be something that, I know people say, you're the mom, he's going to love you, but he's super smart and intuitive, and um, there's going to be things that I can't, understand for him because I'm not in his skin and um, I find myself preoccupied with that a lot like how can I be so close to him be the one that he can come to for everything if I can't totally understand all that because I just haven't lived it how can I educate myself how can I be better in that way and as he's getting older he's becoming more and more aware of the society that he lives in and the chaotic world mm. he lives in, the, the violence, the, the racism. And um, I just want to be someone he can come to, you know. So um, I'm probably overthinking a lot of that, but that's a lot where my energy goes to. Just how yeah. can I really be better in that way for him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think my parents felt that way when I was a kid for different reasons completely, but I was... Mine was probably not as smart or as intuitive as your son sounds, but <laughs> I was highly rebellious and I was getting involved in all the wrong places and circles. And my parents didn't raise me that way. And they, you know, they did only thing, everything right and they were loving and wonderful. Why were you pushing back? Uh, I think I was, I think I've always been like a thrill seeker. Like I've always deeply wanted a purpose. I didn't know that word at that, mm-hmm. at 13. Like I just thought thrill meant excitement uh-huh. and almost like doing well in school and getting good grades, like didn't feel like enough. I was like, mm-hmm. that can't be the goal of life to do well at school. Mm-hmm. Like that can't be it. You got to live. There has What's to be, living? yeah, like what yeah. does it mean to live, right? What yeah. does it mean? And and I feel like it's really interesting because that age at least, and whenever I'm working with someone or whenever I hear about that, I always feel like that's the age when kids kind of like start going off in their own journeys and their own directions. Mm-hmm. And one thing that my dad did that I think was, a game changer because I realized that at that point, no matter what my parents said, I wasn't going to listen to it, no matter what they said. And I think a lot That's of parents- That's part of your job. At yeah, the yeah, and yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? And I think every child, everyone who's been a child, everyone has that experience of, yeah, I didn't listen to my parents when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And then I think every parent has that experience of my kids don't listen to me from like 13 to 21 maybe. Uh, and then my dad started giving me books of people's lives of people that he thought I'd be inspired by based on my ambitions like and my who? rebellion. Well, at that time, it started to be people like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And uh, and then later on, I read Einstein. And then I was also reading people like that, that I was interested in as a 15-year-old kid like David Beckham and mm-hmm. so I was into soccer or Dwayne The Rock Johnson mm-hmm. because he was in WWE. And so I was reading Malcolm X on one side <laughs> and David Beckham on the other. Uh, but it was it was really fascinating to me because it was almost like those people could talk to me at that time in a way that my parents never could mm-hmm. because they had lived experiences or things that for some reason, you know, connected with me and resonated with me in a way that even if my parents said the same things, it would never have yeah. connected. And I wonder, hence you writing a children's book, which is where my direction's going. It's like, I'm fascinated by who the voices your son needs to hear right now at this time in his life. Yeah, I don't know he, if it's mine. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't think it ever is your parents. Uh, not because our parents are wrong. Like there's there's that famous quote, I've, I don't know who said it, but uh, it's uh, the day you realize uh, your parents were right, your kids are telling you that you're wrong. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's one of those moments, like now I'm so grateful to my parents and I can see everything. I'm 35 yes. and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I value everything my parents did and they tried their best, but... In those times, I find like finding the voices of other people that feel like your voice to you, mm-hmm. that he can hear it from someone else, feels like a, you know, feels like I'm, I'm wondering this children's book was that a way of communicating to, like, what what I, was the yeah what was the the purpose behind it? I want him to hear that message. My son's pretty confident, so. <laughs> 
I think the book comes from my interaction with so many young people um, through all the projects that I've been a part of and these multi-generational mm-hmm. projects, you know, of really seeing lots of young people inhibit themselves and scorn their, their unique qualities. And, and I relate to that because that's how I was. Um, my son's pretty sure of himself. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's good. I mean, because I think we all as parents project you know, all the stuff that I need to work on in myself, when you have a kid, it comes like glaring back at you, you know. He's okay with the spotlight, you know. So I don't know if this book is necessarily written for him to help him because he teaches me. That's beautiful. I, you know, I am, (laughs) he said, uh, he said, mom, when I get my braces off and I, uh, and I go through puberty, this is going to be no stopping. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. He means that with the girls. He yeah, means that with basketball. Yeah, yeah, he means yeah, that with everything. Yeah, so it's awesome. like I just need to take a lesson from my yeah. my son, you know. So yeah. I think the book comes from – I wrote it with my sister, first mm-hmm. of all, um, who I'm very close to, Kara. And, um, and she's a teacher, an elementary school teacher, a writer, um, and also specialized in literacy at school. So I wanted to write it with her because she's a pro – and she understood me better than anyone else in the world, understands me. She's the closest person to me. She's younger, but she's the wiser. She's the older soul. And it was the two of us writing this together because we experienced it as sisters. I was always loud and singing and taking up all this space. And she was always, am I supposed to know what I want to do at the age of seven? Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know what I want to do. And um, so we've been really exploring all of those, that's so those awesome. issues. I think so that's more for those um, kids that are just a little bit um, hesitant to kind of allow people to see them, you know, yeah. and allow themselves to be vulnerable and take a risk. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I have, I have a younger sister. And we became, we're still extremely close. She's like my best mm-hmm. friend. She knows everything about me and I know everything about her. And she's, I almost treat her like a, a, a little child. She's only five years younger mm-hmm. than me. But to me, that's like, I remember holding her when I was five years old and she was this tiny little me baby. Me too, I remember holding my sister. Yeah, and it's one of those like, you know, very special memories mm-hmm. of kind of seeing her grow up and feeling older, even though exactly. I wasn't old. Uh, but it's interesting, like I think with siblings, it's it's fascinating to hear that that difference also of being okay with one being loud and one being silent and mm-hmm. and noticing how neither of those are strengths or weaknesses, although I think it's often imprinted that someone who's loud is more confident and is more... Right, and it's, that's totally um, a contradiction, at least in me. I mean, if you saw me at home, I'm actually kind of quiet and people that meet me, they say, oh, you're actually really soft-spoken. And so the... Big, the girl with the big voice and singing to the rafters is definitely part of me. But I think we all have these different sides. And then my sister, who is very soft-spoken, she's the one that when I went to watch her um, teach, she was a TA back in Boulder at CU, and um, she didn't know what she wanted to do. And uh, it was like some neuroscience class, <laughs> and she was a TA. And I, I sat in the back and watched her, and she was unbelievable, so wow. charismatic, so on her voice, so engaging. The students loved her. And I said, this is your thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to teach, you yeah. know. So our voice um, emerges in many different ways. And I think it's a little bit um, uh, a misconception that someone like me who knows how to produce loud sounds <laughs> and hit the back row is necessarily comfortable in her own voice in my own life. Because yeah. especially given that that um, mantle to always sing let it go to kids or defy gravity it's like oh you know I'm not always that example I mean I have those days where I can't get out of bed myself and I have to um find my voice as well and um it's so I hate for people to think that there's this perception of me that I'm fearless because I'm I'm not yeah, of course. And it sounds like this book is also a way of finding your voice because yeah, well, you're playing so many other voices. Yes. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, it's it's autobiographical in a yeah. two little mouse, two, two little mice yeah. <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I love that you chose a mouse to represent. Yeah, because yeah. the mouse feels so, is so small, but yeah. when she sings, yeah. she's the joy and the 
sound of her voice when she decides to share it with the class instead of just keeping it to herself at home, she ends up becoming a huge, huge, huge mouth. Mm -hmm. And um, now everybody can see her and hear her. Um, And that invites a lot of scrutiny, a lot of accolades, but a lot of different things, you know, and that's, I think that's what happens with all of us when we allow ourselves to be seen. Yeah, I'm always finding, I'm always intrigued by people who play lots of voices. And as you said, like, I think everyone's always searching for their voice in life because Mm -hmm. they forget that their early voice was so informed by their parents and then their later voice was so informed by friends. Mm -hmm. And then our voice is just always a mix of other people's noise. Yes. And then I, I wonder for you, do you ever feel like you've rubbed off on the voices of your characters, your characters' voices rub off on you. Like, I'm always fascinated by people who play people for a living. Like, how that... That's what I was saying before, chicken or the egg. How much am I bringing to something that then the writers are inspired by what I'm bringing and how much is the part sort of finding me? Um, Which characters do you think... Which characters do you think rubbed off the most on you in a... Each one was like a gift at the time, you know, like the Rent stuff was really, it was a celebration. That character was, was, was uh, unafraid, sexy, funny, um, just an excuse for me to really be all those things. Mm. And then when Wicked came along, I was definitely more insecure and needing to sort of allow myself to not be afraid of my own anger and um, my larger-than-life mm. qualities, you know. So um, wow. that one was really art imitating life, you know. So different things. I don't know. The yeah, voice, no, those are beautiful. I yeah. love those. Yeah. No, no, those, those are wonderful. It's just, so it's, it, it's just so much, yeah, it's so much more, when you're playing someone deeply, it's so much more deeper than just, Oh, yeah, they're a character, right? Well, and then you live with them for how many shows a year. Yeah, that's well, that's even more than a movie, right? Like even more than a TV show or a movie. It's like this character's... Yeah, and I've had two instances now with Rent the Movie. We did it 10 years after um, I left the show. And then I have this um, sequel to Enchanted, Disenchanted, coming out now. And that's 15 years later. And it's kind of fun to revisit a character years later mm-hmm. because um it's just you see how like life has informed your who you are and how you approach the character now it's really mm-hmm. i find it really fascinating um to go back and, and see that I, if i threw caution to the wind a lot i didn't have as much process when i was younger mm-hmm. just kind of like was raw and in the moment and spontaneous and um, in the moment, yeah. but the older I got, I've been getting, the less in the moment I am because the more you're aware of how yeah. far you can fall, you know, yeah. and you get in your head. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. What's something that you feel you used to value that you don't value anymore? Something that was important to you that's become less and less important? Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say being liked, but having people caring about what people think, but... Mm. I think I still care about what people think. Mm. Um, we all do. Yeah. When I was asked, I was asked this question, and that's where I started to uh, involve it in my interviews. And it was probably one of the only questions that made me stop and think, <laughs> like you had to. Uh, you know, most questions you just you're just talking, and then my answer to it in the moment, without thinking about it, in like mm-hmm. seven seconds of thinking about it, was uh, being understood. I think I realized that 99% of the world would never be able to understand anyone fully. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's actually possible. possible. And, I, and I think the pressure we put on ourselves to try to understand someone fully rushes the process of understanding them half. Yes. And so like that feeling of, oh, I understand you. Like even we just want to be able to say that. And we want to be able to say that so quickly. That's what I was saying about my son. Yeah. Like, I will never, yeah, it's never what, yeah. be able to be all those things to him. Exactly. You know, yeah. I, I live in a white woman's body and yeah. my background and where I've come from. And just because he came from my womb doesn't give yeah. me the carte blanche to understand his emotion, you know. Yeah. So um, that's very frustrating. Yeah, and, and I need to just accept that, you know. Yeah, and accepting it just, yeah, I think for me it was like I realized that 
even if someone does understand you, they won't understand you in the way you want them to understand you, mm-hmm. right? Even in wanting to be understood, like you're talking about trying to understand someone else, but even I think all of us crave to be understood mm. when we That's say something. We're really yeah. seen, like someone yes. really gets me. Exactly. And yeah. and I've found even the people that really get that me. That you don't really, really it's, get they me. Don't re- they get <laughs> me, they do. My closest friends really yeah. get me. But even then... There's a part of you that only you get. No one will ever know. And no one will ever know. And and that's and being at peace with that has been very good for me. Mm. Uh, if you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Would just be to mind your own business. Stop worrying about what other people are doing and mm. live your own life. That's a great one. I love that. Uh, Irina Mazel, everyone, if you have been listening or watching, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you... Share what you learned, what you took away, any reflections, any questions that you've had. Uh, Tag us both on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, all the platforms that you know that we're on right now. And of course, the book, Loudmouse, is available. We're going to put the link in the show notes so you can order it as well. You can read along. I know I'm going to be ordering a ton of copies for my nieces and nephews. Yeah, and there's a refrain in it. So there's a song I wrote that I love um, that that goes along with that and. You don't have to sing it like me. I definitely just will not sing it. Sing so. it however you sing. I just gave you a <laughs> I don't little sing. start. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't sing it, but I'll be ordering them, uh, ordering the book for my nieces and nephews uh, to share it with them as well. I know that. I, it's probably one of my favorite things to do is to sit down and read a children's book with a child. Like it's, and I, have, I don't have two kids of my own yet, but when I do it with nieces and nephews or you know my godson, it's like one of the most yeah. fun, fun bonding experiences. I look forward to that. Yeah. Thank you, Irina. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. If you love this episode, you'll enjoy my conversation with Megan Trainer on breaking generational trauma and how to be confident from the inside out. My therapist told me stand in the mirror naked for five minutes. It was already tough for me to love my body, but after the C-section scar with all the stretch marks, now I'm looking at myself like I've been hacked. But day three when I did it, I was like, you know what? Her thighs are cute. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, friends. I'm Danielle Robey. And I'm Simone Boyce. And we're here to introduce you to The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. We'll hear from celebrities, authors, experts, and listeners like you. Whether it's relationships, friend advice, or figuring out how to navigate life's transitions, big and small, We'll talk through it together. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.